want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get more great investing content. If you're listening on YouTube, hit that like button on this video and any other platform, your five-star rating and review are a great way to support the show. Thank you for your support. So I know I have been gone for a little while and the month hiatus has been quite some time for me. I've been quite busy. So I am glad to all of you who have stuck around with the show and I will try again to be a little bit more disciplined in getting the shows out on a weekly basis. There might be a few more disruptions over the next month or two, but hopefully during the summer here I will get back into a normal routine and you'll be getting your weekly DIY investing podcast episodes. Today I have a topic that I think is a really interesting one to discuss. We're focusing on strategy. We're focusing on really understanding portfolio management today um, and thinking about risk management. So portfolio and risk management and where they overlap is today's topic. Today's topic revolves around a question and the question is, what risks are you willing to underwrite? Today, I'm going to be talking about two risks, two types of risks that we're going to consider, and we're going to consider both business risks and portfolio risks. And another way of phrasing this question of what risks are you willing to underwrite is to say, how are you willing to fail? <laughs> As investors, we all take risks. If you want to earn a return, you have to take some sort of risk because that risk relates to your return. There's a reason that we talk about risk-free interest rates, stuff about the government-based interest rates, interest rates you can receive on a savings account, and that if you want to earn a higher interest rate or a higher return, you have to take higher risk. And now I don't completely agree that the term beta or volatility is risk. I think that's one type of risk, but I don't agree that that is what risk is for an investor. But investors certainly take on certain risks. And today I'm going to talk about those risks. I'm going to talk about what risks I am willing to undertake, what risks I'm willing to underwrite. Because if you think about this word underwrite, what does that mean? What is the connotation? What is the denotation of underwrite? Well, insurance underwrites things. They take on risks of loss. And in return, they get money. They get money they're able to invest. They're able to earn a return on their money. So when an insurance provider underwrites car insurance or underwrites home insurance, they're taking the risk of a disaster to the car or disaster to the home. And in that and if they are correct about the risks and the prices that they charge for those risks, then they get to earn a return. As an investor, it's very similar for you. When you are buying a stock, when you're buying a business, or when you're buying a bond, or if you're buying real estate, there are specific risks associated with that purchase. 
You need to understand what they are, and you also need to understand which risks are acceptable to you and which risks are unacceptable to you. This is a personal question. The risks that are acceptable to me may or may not be acceptable to you. And the risks that I think are unacceptable might be ones you think are acceptable. So I'm not expecting you to adopt the risks that I like, and I'm not trying to convince you to do that either. What I'm trying to do is walk you through the framework that I'm creating in the hopes that it's helpful to you. I think it's always helpful as investors that we recognize our strengths and our weaknesses. We recognize our personal temperament, what allows us to be successful, what allows us to um what allows us to sleep at night when we're making investment. And so we need to understand the risks that are okay with us. So that's the basic framework today. We're going to talk about two risks, business risks and portfolio risks. So let's get started with business risks. How are we willing to fail when buying a specific stock? These are stock specific, company specific risks. So on any one individual company, when you're looking at that company, what are the red flags for you and what for the green flags? What are you willing to accept in a company that you buy and what would cause you to reject that company? So I have broken down some risks into acceptable and unacceptable. <laughs> and I'm just going to go through them in order with a little bit of an explanation to provide you some insight into my investing process. So what do I consider acceptable business risks when I'm looking at a stock? And I have three ideas for you today. First is price. Second is growth rate estimates. And third is operational leverage. These are the three types of business risks that I'm willing to accept. So for a long period, let's start first on price. For a long period of time, my threshold for price was I wanted to buy stocks at 10 times earnings or less. This meant that they would have an earnings yield of 10% or more, 10%, 11%, 12%, 13%. Basically, double-digit earnings yield is associated with a price-to-earnings ratio of 10 or less. So what I have decided in recent times is I'm willing to compromise on price. I'm willing to pay a slightly higher price than my price target of 10 times earnings in recent days, and I'm willing to accept up to a 15 times earnings per share when I'm buying a high quality business. This means that to me, the stock specific risk is that I'm willing to take higher price risk. Now you might think about this and be like, man, 15 times earnings is relatively cheap. And it, and it is, I, I think 15 times earnings is, the, is an average PE for an average stock. So when I'm willing to accept up to 15 times earnings for high quality business, I still think I'm getting a good deal. I still think I have a margin of safety as a value investor to buy at a below average price. What this means in practice is that I'm buying stocks at 
10 times earnings, 11 times earnings, 12 times earnings, 13 times earnings, 14 times earnings. I've seen this apply mostly in the 12 to 13 times earnings range. I used to reject a lot of stocks that were in the 12 to 13 times earnings range. And recently I'm compromising on that price level and I'm allowing myself to buy stocks at 12 times earnings, 13 times earnings. I have this psychological limit right now about 15 times earnings because that means that I can still allow for multiple expansion. I want to buy stocks where I think the multiple can grow over time so that I don't have to put um, limitations on my return with the multiple declining during my holding period. This is this idea of a Davis double play. You're getting a return both from holding the stock and a return from the price appreciation. So I still want to receive both. And to do that, I think I need to buy under a 15 times PE ratio. So that's price. That's a basic overview of what I consider price risk when I'm buying a specific business. <coughs> what about growth rate estimates? What do I mean by growth rate estimates? So what that means is I'm willing to be wrong on my estimates of growth. I'm usually targeting businesses that are able to grow their revenue or earnings at double digit rate rates. That means they're able to grow revenue at 10% a year, 15% a year, 12% a year, 20% per year. And I think it's okay for me to compromise on this number. I'm willing to be wrong. So if I'm targeting double digit growth rates, let's say I'm targeting a 10 to 15% per year growth rate in revenue, I'm willing to be wrong on this estimate. I'm willing to accept that I am wrong on this estimate because I believe that if my pricing is right, I can be wrong on the growth rate and still do okay. So if I'm assuming that the company will be able to grow revenue at 10% a year, but they're only able to grow it at 6% a year, that's what my price allows for. So I'm allowed to have growth go below double digits as long as I'm still targeting double digits up front because I still have sufficient margin of safety on the price that I pay. So I'm okay taking risk that my growth rate is wrong. Again, my target is double-digit revenue and earnings growth. But if I don't achieve that, I've structured my investment process to allow for some error. So I'm allowing error in my growth rate estimate. Where else am I comfortable failing? I'm comfortable failing and accepting underwriting risk on operating leverage. So operating leverage is where if where earnings grow faster than revenue when revenue is going up and earnings fall faster than revenue when revenue is going down. So I'm willing to bet on be and be wrong about operating leverage. When I'm buying companies, I want to underwrite operating leverage. I want to buy companies that have operating leverage. This means that if I think earn if I think revenue is growing at 10% a year, like I said in my last example, I also think that earnings are going to grow faster than 10% a year. So that means that maybe revenue grows at 10% a year and earnings grow at 15% a year. Or revenue grows at 10% a year and earnings grow at 20% per year. There are companies out there that do that. And I like that connection because it means most people might think about the revenue and they're saying, oh, I'm going to get 10% revenue growth and they might value the company on that. But I'm also trying to have the additional boost of operating leverage. But 
I'm willing to be wrong on that. Because if I have the growth rate estimate, target is still right. Then if I don't get the operating leverage boost, it's still okay. The investment can still work. But it's one I'm willing to be wrong on. So that's a risk that I'm underwriting. I'm underwriting the risk of operating leverage. Because it also means that if I'm targeting a business that I think has operating leverage, it means that if revenue actually declines, then earnings can crater fast because they're going to go down faster. So it's just one of the things I look for. It's one of the risks I'm willing to take. I'm willing to take the risk of buying companies with operating leverage. Not every company has operating leverage. Operating leverage isn't necessarily good and it's not necessarily bad. It's just one type of risk that you can take as an investor. So what do I see as some unacceptable risks for me in a specific stock, in a specific business? I've identified four key areas that I want to avoid when buying a specific company. These are balance sheet liquidity risk, self-funded risk, bankruptcy risk, and commodity risk. (laughs) So let's go into detail on those. What do I mean by balance sheet liquidity? I want a liquid cash-filled balance sheet, and I'm unwilling to accept companies that aren't liquid on their balance sheet. I don't want to buy a company that doesn't have cash. I don't want to buy a company that has a balance sheet mainly full of receivables and inventory where cash is low, where they have um, maybe lots of debt or um, lots of cash flow needs so their working capital doesn't work well for handling liquidity situations. So I want a strong balance sheet. And it's unacceptable to me to buy a company without a strong balance sheet. In the past, this wasn't true. I've learned my lesson, um, unfortunately, through some mistakes, that when I buy companies with poor balance sheet liquidity, it tends to work out poorly for me. It makes the business less likely to handle um, external shocks in a good manner. It means that the stock price is more likely to respond negatively to a shock because they don't have the liquid balance sheet to handle it. So I want to see a company with a very strong balance sheet, with a lot of cash, with a lot of liquidity to handle short-term losses, short-term impacts like COVID. What do you do when you're forced by the government to shut down? What do you do in that situation where you have to lay off employees to handle cash? I want them to be able to have the cash on their balance sheet to handle those shocks. So for me, it's unacceptable to buy a company that doesn't have a strong balance sheet. What's the next one? Self-funded. I don't want to buy a company that has to be funded by debt or by VCs. So there's a lot of companies that are all the rage right now that are funded by taking on and continuously taking on debt simply to run their business. One good example of this is a utility company. Many utilities are highly regulated and they're capped on their returns on capital by regulators. And so what they have to do in order to earn an acceptable return is they have to use debt. They need debt to return a reasonable amount to shareholders. And without the ability to have debt, shareholders wouldn't receive a good return. And I simply don't want to buy a company that has to be funded by debt. If you need debt to make your business model work, it's not a company I want to buy. Those companies are reasonable for other people, but they're not reasonable for me. 
And there's lots of companies that fall into this um, category. They're almost always highly capital intensive. If you need a lot of capital to run your business, it's not necessarily the company for me. I want you to have high returns on capital. And usually, if you have high returns on capital, you don't need debt. Debt might be optional for short-term reasons, like an acquisition that you want to make right now for some reason, but you don't need it to run your day-to-day operations. If you need debt to run your day-to-day operations, it's not for me. That's an unacceptable risk for me. Maybe it's right for you, but it's not the right for me. So I don't want to buy a company that has to be funded by debt. And likewise, I don't want to have to be funded by um constantly diluting shareholders. So this is where um, venture capital is constantly putting money into the business. The business is raising money by issuing shares, issuing equity on a regular ongoing basis. Maybe they're raising money once a year or twice a year or once every other year by issuing 10% of the stock, 20% of the stock and constantly diluting shareholders in order to bring in new capital. That's not interesting to me. I want businesses to be self-funded. I want businesses to use free cash flow and earnings to then fund their future expansion. I don't want future expansion to be funded by venture capital. I don't want future expansion of their competitors to be funded by venture capital. I want you to fund your expansion and fund your capex and fund your maintenance entirely from internally generated cash flows. Now, in today's world, that tends to be an old school opinion, but I think it has a lot of value. So let's talk about my next unacceptable risk, bankruptcy risk. So I don't want bankruptcy risk of any kind. Any bankruptcy risk of any kind is unacceptable to me. So that means I'm unwilling to buy highly leveraged companies. Now, this hasn't always been true. I used to own some highly leveraged companies. I've owned highly leveraged companies in the past. They can be very appealing to an investor because the leverage component allows you to get substantially higher returns than you would be able to receive without the leverage. But leverage involves risk, and this is not a risk that I want to take. So if your company has three or four or five times debt to EBITDA um, or net income or cash flow, that's not very interesting to me. I don't want to see high debt on the balance sheet. I don't want to see that even if you're not funding the business with that, I don't want you to see that you're using that debt to provide leverage on the return on equity. If you have a return on equity of 10, 15, 20%, you don't need to double up on debt in order to grow that to 20, 25, 30, 40%. That's not interesting to me. I don't want to see you reaching high returns on equity because you're using debt. Now, that, that ties in very clearly to my other one about balance sheet liquidity, but it is separate. If if you're taking on substantial debt, you're going to have debt covenants, you're going to have all sorts of things that could lead you to potentially having bankruptcy. And if there's any potential for bankruptcy, I'm not interested. My portfolio is constructed around concentrated positions, and that does not work if there's a chance of going to zero. Now, certainly every company has a chance to go to zero, but it's really hard to go to zero if you don't have debt. So by having debt, you introduce bankruptcy risk, and the more debt you have, the more bankruptcy risk, and I'm just not interested in bankruptcy risk. So let's talk about my next risk, and that risk is commodity risk. 
I'm not willing to accept exposure to commodity prices. I no longer want to own companies that have exposure to worldwide global um, commodity prices, where the selling of a commodity means that your revenue and sales are unpredictable. To me, that is an inherently weaker business model than a business that has pricing power. If you're selling a commodity, that means that you do not control the outcomes for your business because the commodity prices are beyond your control. The commodity prices could lead you into bad outcomes. Certainly, they could lead you to great outcomes, but they could also lead to bad outcomes. And I don't want to be exposed to commodity risk anymore. Um, I think most recently um, about oil prices. Over the last year, I've had a lot of people recommend some pretty speculative oil stocks to me um, and talking about them. And they've made a lot of good money off of those picks because oil prices have risen significantly in the last 12 months. But it's not a fit for me. That's not what I want to do. I used to play that game. That used to be something that was interesting. I used to own companies that had exposure to commodity prices, but I don't want to do that anymore. Because to me, it's a lower quality business model when you don't control the price of your product. I want companies that control the price of their product, and if you are selling a commodity, or if a commodity is maybe a big input into your costs, um, that can be a huge deal for the stability of your margins, the stability of your business model, and your ability to have sustainable profits over the long term. Commodities introduce cyclicality into the business, and I don't want cyclicality in my business. So for me, commodity risk is an unacceptable risk. Um, and that, that can include all sorts of things, whether we're talking about oil, natural gas, coal, um, any number of things, copper, corn, wheat, uh, just lots of products have commodity prices associated with them. So I don't want to be associated with commodity pricing. Um, maybe that's good for you, but it's not an acceptable risk for me. So those are the business risks. The business risks were what's acceptable. I was willing to accept compromises on price. I'm willing to accept risk in my growth rate estimates. I'm willing to accept risk in operational leveraged companies. I'm not willing to accept risk with companies that don't have good balance sheet liquidity. I'm not willing to accept risk with companies that can't be self-funded. I'm not willing to accept risk with bankruptcy, and I'm not willing to accept risks of commodity prices. So that covers our business risks, the stock specific risks, but there's also risks in your portfolio that are not related to your individual stock choices, but instead are related to the overall strategy of your portfolio, how you construct your portfolio, how you manage buying and selling, how you manage the portfolio um, as a whole. So now we're going beyond business and we're talking about the portfolio. So what do I see as an acceptable portfolio risk, portfolio-based risks, not specific to a stock, not specific to a business, but what is it on a portfolio level that I'm willing to accept? Remember, you have to accept some risks in order to get a return. And those risks are going to vary by investor. So what do I see as acceptable? The first thing that I see as acceptable is illiquid stocks. 
I'm willing to accept lower liquidity in my stocks than other investors. I'm willing to spend months buying my positions and building them up instead of just days or hours. The average investor buying a stock that trades on the S&P 500 can fill their entire position in a single click. A single trade might be able to fill their entire position, and it could all take place on a single day. This can be especially true when you know if you're buying stock in Amazon, Facebook, those stocks trade billions of dollars a day in volume. So, you know, your average investor with you know ten thousand dollar portfolio, hundred thousand dollar portfolio, million dollar portfolio, ten million dollar portfolio can fill their entire position in Facebook with one click, one buy. And it can all be done in a matter of seconds. I'm willing to buy stocks that don't have that liquidity. I'm willing to buy stocks that take longer. So uh, I think about one of my largest holdings. It took me six months during 2020 to build my position. And I had to build that position day after day, week after week for six months, beginning in March through September, over and over again, buying the stock in order to get up sufficient number of shares to meet my target of a 20% portfolio allocation. Some investors would want the ability to buy that in a day, buy that at an hour, but I was willing to accept the risk of taking a long time to buy the position in order to get alpha and additional returns. That's one risk I'm willing to accept is illiquid stocks. For many investors, that's not acceptable. Certainly for institutional investors, if you're managing a large mutual fund, um, hedge fund, a lot of times illiquid stocks are not acceptable risks to take. But as an individual investor, it's okay for me to buy illiquid stocks. That's an area where I feel I have edge that institutions cannot buy illiquid stocks and I can, so that gives me potential for alpha. Another acceptable risk that I'm willing to take on a portfolio level is concentration risk. I've talked about it a lot on this podcast that I'm willing to hold fewer stocks than other investors. I'm willing to hold anywhere from three to five companies when I'd say the average investor wants to hold anywhere from 10 to 30 companies. 10 stocks, 15 stocks, 20 stocks, 30 stocks, 50 stocks. And so if the average investor is buying a 20 to 30 stock portfolio and I'm buying a three to five stock portfolio, that means my portfolio level risk involves concentration. And so I think that that is certainly a risk. You have to recognize it's a risk, but I think it's a risk that fits my strategy. It fits my temperament and it's a risk I'm taking for the potential of alpha. Some people are not willing to take that risk, which means that there are some um, ideas that I'm willing to get a better return from because of taking concentration risk. The third risk that I think about um, that ties in very closely to the previous two is tracking error risk. I'm willing for my results to be dramatically different from the results of an index like the S&P 500 or Russell 2000 in any one year. Because I'm not buying a lot of companies, because I'm not highly diversified, there's going to be substantial tracking error in my portfolio. Some years I might massively outperform the index, followed by some years where I massively underperform the index. Because my stocks aren't in any index, and I only own a few stocks, 
there's going to be substantial tracking error. I'm not going to move up and down with the index. My stocks often have a very low beta, which means that they don't track the index. They don't go up with when the index goes up, and they don't go down when the index goes down. They track independent of the index. That leads to my portfolio having tracking error. This is a risk I'm willing to take it as, a, as an individual investor, but many institutional investors, many professional investors cannot take this risk. Taking tracking error risk introduces career risk. It means that you're not tracking your indicated index. Um, and so I believe tracking error risk gives me the opportunity to outperform, but it also gives me the opportunity to underperform. And that is a risk I'm willing to take in order to potentially outperform the market. So what are some risks that I consider unacceptable on a portfolio level? The first one is I, I'm unwilling to underperform inflation for long periods of time. So I think it's an unacceptable outcome if inflation exceeds my rate of return over a 5 to 10 plus year period. Now, right now, inflation is low. Inflation, at least reported, is anywhere from 2 3 to 4% within the United States. And so, you know, if, if the inflation is 4% for 10 years, you're talking maybe you have to outperform 4% over a 10-year period. And it would be an unacceptable outcome to me if my portfolio lagged that inflation margin. So that's unacceptable risk for me to take. I can't simply put a lot of money in cash equivalents because they underperform inflation. Another unacceptable risk is I'm unwilling to underperform a 10% baseline absolute return over time. So I don't consider myself a relative investor. I consider myself an absolute return investor. This means I'm not trying to beat the S&P 500. That's not one of my goals. But my goal is to beat a 10% average return compound annual return over time. So that means that over a 5, 10, 15, 20 year period, I want my returns to exceed 10% per year. And if 10% per year is better than the index, then great. If 10% per year is below the index, that's still okay. So I'm willing to underperform the index as long as I beat the baseline return of my 10%. Now I think as um, an opinion that the index, the S&P 500 going forward, you know, from 2021 prices is un is going to be unable to beat a 10% rate of return. That's its historical rate of return, but I think index returns are likely to be lower than 10% over time. That's part of what went into picking this. Um, but what it does is it brings in decisions like how to address cash drag. The more cash I hold in my portfolio, the harder it is to outperform an absolute return index. Um, not index, an absolute return baseline of 10%. If I hold 20% of my portfolio in cash, that means the remaining 80% of my portfolio has to work that much harder to beat a 10% annual return. It, it also... Uh, it means I'm more likely to hold, be stay fully invested to, than to hold significant cash. I'm not necessarily going to be waiting for downturns in, in overall stock prices as long as I can still find stock ideas that offer me a 10% rate of return or greater. 
The last thing I want to mention in terms of unacceptable portfolio risks is that as I was preparing for this show, I didn't really have a lot of ideas for what I considered an unacceptable risk on a portfolio basis. So what I want you to do is is reach out to me and let me know what I'm missing. What are some portfolio level risks that I should really consider as unacceptable um, that I didn't mention here today? I didn't have a lot to cover under unacceptable portfolio risks because I couldn't think of any. I couldn't think of what it was maybe I was already doing or what it was I need to be doing to avoid certain portfolio level risks. So please consider sending me an email. You can send me an email at trey at diyinvesting.org or you can DM me on Twitter and that's at Trey Henniger. And those links are in the show notes to how to reach out to me on Twitter. So give me your ideas on what are unacceptable risks that you think I should consider involving in my portfolio process. So in summary, we have risks that fall into two categories. You have business risks and portfolio risks. Which risks are you willing to underwrite? You've heard the risks I'm willing to underwrite. You've heard my philosophy on how I think about my portfolio. You've heard how I am willing to fail. So now it's your turn. It's now your turn to do your homework. What risks are you willing to take? What risks are you willing to fail at in the pursuit of investment returns? I think acceptable business risks are price, growth rates, estimates, and operational leverage. On an individual stock basis, I think it's unacceptable to have poor balance sheet liquidity. I think it's unacceptable to not be self-funded. I think taking bankruptcy risk is unacceptable, and I think taking commodity risk is unacceptable. On a portfolio basis, I like to buy illiquid stocks. I'm willing to take concentration risks, and I'm willing to take tracking error risks in the pursuit of alpha. But I'm unwilling to underperform inflation for long periods of time, and I'm unwilling to underperform a 10% baseline return over time, which impacts my thinking around cash drag in the portfolio. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope to have more episodes consistently in the future. If you like the full show notes for this show, it's available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 117. You can listen to all of my episodes on my website through through YouTube um, or various podcasting platforms. Thank you for listening to today's show. And until next time, stop paying fees and start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. 
DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.